Can I point out, John Wick doesn't do a lot of punching or kicking. <laughs> I know. How many people want to kick some ass? Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is a mistake of a podcast called Kicky Punchy Men, episode three, John Wick. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined for the worst thing we've ever done by Ben Phillips. Ben, we've done both raids. How do you feel about this? ridiculous project you came up I feel, with i feel good about it it's definitely not the worst thing we've ever done because we watched catwoman mm. comedy value though no there was no value <laughs> there was no value at all kicky punchy man this is episode three this is john wick released october 2014 so the raid 2 starts 2014 and john wick ends it directed by chad stoleski and david lich but officially just chad because rules but they directed it together they are both stunt people who came up on buffy most famously chad doubled for keanu reeves in the matrix and david lich has doubled for brad pitt like multiple times i believe lich gets the producer credit and he goes on to be full director for atomic blonde deadpool 2 hobbs and shaw like i feel he's even though Chad gets the director credit for this movie, which, like, makes both of them, I feel David Leitch has gone on to, like, be the more prominent director. But that's only because Chad Stahelski's kind of stayed with John Wick, and he's yeah. nursed this franchise. But then in between doing the John Wick movies, he also is the second unit director on Civil War and Birds of Prey. They both oh, they both did Civil War, but yeah, only, oh, only Chad did Birds of Prey. I mean, I probably wasn't looking at, like, their full film careers because i would imagine second unit direction isn't tracked as as uh, consistently as first but david lich also has way more second unit director credits to his name than chad but they are stunt people we talked about this i believe doing the raid just you know the rise of stunt people and special effects people stepping up to direct full-on movies at a budget and getting something that looks way better than it probably would if you had a big name director attached like famously director of Deadpool 1 tim miller was a special effects dude and he gets a colossus that looks pretty fucking solid for how much movie how much money that movie cost because he just knows how to how to shoot for special effects and he understands special effects himself so this is very much a franchise that is driven by the stunts and you know gareth evans he was a just normal director but like he had that reverence for the martial art and we talked about how he kind of is letting the martial art lead the way in those two movies and i think you get a similar thing here the big difference is you attach keanu reeves to it uh who you know his career was struggling at that point i would say i i, I don't think it would be unfair to say that given the movies he'd done around that time the thing is he comes off the matrix mm-hmm. and biggest it's like a... action movie ever maybe <laughs> yeah and and it's this huge thing it brings over over like a, a, a sense of Hong Kong cinema over to Western cinema, like Yuen Wu Ping becomes like a household name. He does The Matrix, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Kill Bill, and there's a, like an entire generation of movies that are founded on this very particular kind of kung fu action. But Keanu Reeves kind of doesn't find anything to stick to afterwards. Like he does Constantine, he does The Day the Earth Stood Still. He tries to do his own kind of kung fu movie with Man of Tai Chi mm-hmm. with a young uh, Aiko Uwe in it by the way 
Oh, really? Yeah. And and then this feels like, oh, let's do a favour to these stunt guys who I work with. Well, uh, so, like, David Colstad wrote it. He'd done One in the Chamber and The Package, which both sound like straight-to-DVD movies. But he wrote a movie called Scorn, uh, and he had a much older actor in mind, but then Keanu got the name. And Keanu called Stileski and Litch up and said, would you like to come and be the stunt directors on this? And their pitch was so strong that they actually secured full-on direction, which pretty impressive and, like, go them. Also, fun fact, Keanu liked the character name so much that he just kept calling it John Wick, so they ended up just changing the whole <laughs> film to be called that. Much better name. But yeah, like, he remem- you know, he remembered them from that time, and there are all these, like, urban legends about... Well, it's probably... <laughs> I think they've been verified. He took great care of the stunt people on the Matrix films, uh, particularly in the sequels, like, buying them all motorcycles and giving them money and you know all that sort of stuff like a great respect for what they do so i think you know it's a consistent thing for his character as a human being not like for the character to think of these guys and and to bring them in and like good on them to be able to nail the pitch that well that they get to direct the whole movie because they had said how they were looking to get into first unit directing and and just all worked out really well like they get a budget of 20 to 30 million dollars which you know five to six times the budget of the raid to 20 to 30 times the budget of the raid one that's your hollywood money there isn't it and and the money that someone like keanu reeves can get you if Mm -hmm. you're working in the right genre yeah and like you know for as much as his career may have been struggling like that is still a big name actor i'm sure it was still costing a lot to cast him in things and you know it brings in 86 million dollars and keanu is suddenly huge again it is this bizarre thing where every single time keanu's fame kind of fades a little bit everyone defaults back to oh it's bill and ted keanu reeves and everyone forgets the kind of all the huge action movies that he does in between Bill and Ted and mm-hmm. the modern day. And, like, just, he is... and he does a few of them that are like less good, and then he'll find one that just really fucking connects with people, and boom, he's huge again. And and yeah, like he did it with Point Break, he did it with The Matrix, he did it with John Wick, and I feel like between the John Wicks, he's attempted to get back into like dramatic acting to like middling success. I don't think he's fallen as low as he he probably was between The Matrix and this. But then he and he's also like in a time where like most male celebrities are some level of problematic. He's just a really nice fucking guy. It can't be sort of overstated how refreshing that is that he does seem to just be a good dude who like likes animals and is kind to people. It's probably yeah, the like, Canada in him. But hey. Yeah, his I mean his last year is probably his best year in a mm. while. And even then it's it's John Wick three, it's always been my maybe in Toy Story Four. Oh god, he's so good and always been my maybe. <laughs> Have you seen that? No, I've not. Oh, okay. They kind of give away most of the joke in the trailer when he just rocks up as himself but in a heightened version but he is so game for it and it's really good i feel everyone was talking about this as i like oh dude you need to see this movie no one's heard of it's got the best one sentence yes. pitch it 100 does so many people are convinced they should check it out because you just say bad people kill this guy's dog so he murders them all and it's like yeah cool i'm down with that because it's not cool when you kill people's dogs it feels like a genuine breath of fresh air to western action movies like we talked about it with the raid where like the raid was this very big deal as a as a martial arts movie and you know the numbers don't necessarily back that up but just it clearly had an impact and then john wick has always felt like the western answer to the raid and it's obviously made with more money like they are just looking at them 
you can tell they're more expensive. Like the uh, the special effects on the the horrific violence are way better, and you have a higher caliber of actor because they're all actually actors compared to several of the stars of the raid just being martial arts guys. And then they bring in some of those real actors for the raid too. But, you know, we're talking Keanu Reeves and Willem Dafoe and Michael Nykvist and Ian McShane. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of really good people. In... Yeah, it's, it's funny how it feels like the first movie kind of tops out with just how packed the cast is. Like, it's a yeah. lot of TV people like Adrian Palicki, Dean Winters, mm. John Leguizamo all hang around a lot in kind of TV spheres nowadays. Hell, Alfie Allen is probably doing this on a break in between what season of Game of Thrones, season three and four of Game of Thrones. And you look at the cast of the next two and they're good, but they don't kind of have the depth that this cast does. This one is, is shockingly packed. Like, I haven't seen it in a while and it felt a bit like... Oh shit, he's in it, isn't he? Like I forgot Willem Dafoe was even a thing in John Wick One, and he hasn't, he hasn't started his like multi-year Oscar nomination trend at that point. <laughs> yes, as a dangerously insane human being. I think the simplicity of that one-sentence pitch is echoed in the film in general, and they were just like, let's just make a no-nonsense martial arts action, gung fu, whatever movie with a really solid cast and a good tone. And it really worked. And I feel so many movies have now reacted to John Wick and the way that they started to react to the raid. And you see, you know, we, we talked about at the top of this episode, like that these two, that Chad and David have like blown up and just got an action movie parts left, right and centre, whether that be directing their own ones or, or second unit direction for Marvel and DC. Those are the biggest action movies going. I feel superhero movies often get sort of left off the discussion of action movies, but what are they if not an action movie? The main issue holding a lot of superhero movies back is the fact that they do aim for that PG-13 rating. And so yeah. a lot of what makes these movies fun is the kind of unbroken shots of violence, which is a big issue when it comes to getting that PG-13 age rating is you can't show continuous hits, you can't show bones breaking and all these different things that Mm. realistically would be happening and... I did notice that in a lot of the sort of one-on-one confrontations there is a lot more of the close-ups and camera cuts than we saw in the raid and we talked about how like he, he was afforded that ability to just pull the camera out and let them go because they actually knew their shit backwards and forwards and obviously Keanu Reeves is a cut above the average Hollywood A-lister when it comes to action because the thing I sort of realised while watching all of these and like all these videos would come out that would go viral of him like doing these assault courses to train for them it's like Keanu Reeves has spent the better part of 20 plus years learning how to just actually kill people for realsies because if you think about how many martial arts movies he's done how many shooty bang bang movies he's done and like he seems to legit have an aptitude for it I'm not saying he could go be a Navy SEAL or anything but like it's if there was some conspiracy where actors were being uh, activated as agents I feel Keanu Reeves would take most of us down no problem especially Um, considering he's a 55 year old man I know yeah he looked I said to you, whenever he runs and stuff like that, particularly in the third one, it, it's like when Samuel L. Jackson has to run in Captain Marvel and suddenly the de-aging falls apart. And it's not quite that bad, but like there is a sort of lumbering nature to him when he has to run around or anything like that. When and, he has to be like a live person. Yeah, and I think they can get away with it because he's always injured because they sort of take place a one week gap between one and two maybe and then hours between two and three so yeah and there, there is some time in three but by the end of three he is limping yeah, from yeah. but it's it's a shame that kind of the two biggest action stars who are around in the 90s nowadays 
are Keanu Reeves and Tom Cruise, both of whom are nearing 60 years old. Yep. And there really isn't, outside the superhero movies, like if you, you don't get picked up to do this kind of franchise, you get picked up to do a superhero franchise. Because sure, that's where the money have, is. <laughs> yeah. But sure, we have Chris Hemsworth doing Extraction for Netflix, <laughs> apparently being a massive success. But it's like, John Wick's a good movie. Extraction has that one 12-minute shot that people talked about, which you could just skip to and watch it and then go, cool, I've seen the, the thing that they tried to do, interestingly. Hmm. I just feel that the margin for error on a John Wick being successful is very slim. Like, I feel there are multiple John Wicks a year that nobody watches and just, or don't quite come together. It is obviously way better than a lot of these... I don't know, I'm thinking of, like, the movies that, like, Vin Diesel was making in the 2000s and some of Denzel Washington's stuff and, and I don't know, just these sort of... There's a lot of, like, action and horror seems to be the two easiest movies to kind of throw as a direct-to-DVD because yes. the kind of people they're working with tend to be kind of cheaper and there's a lot of stunt people who just want to do this kind of thing, get in, get out, and you kind of do take notice when something does take the time to kind of think through its choreography and mm. actually give a plot to it rather than go, like, terrorists are attacking this place, let's go stop the yeah. terrorists, and I, they're all... Uh, yeah, I, I think they got the right guy at the right time, they got the right people behind the camera they filled out their cast with some like very solid role players and then i think the most charming thing about them is this sort of world within the world type stuff like i, I would always compare i mean it's obviously not a just comparison but the thing that always would come to mind is it's like harry potter where they're like diagon alley is just in the middle of london or whatever and like stuff is happening right in front of people and they don't notice it and it gets sillier and sillier i think in two and three but just this idea that there is a a secret clandestine world where we have all these rules and, and mythos and everything going on. And I, I think that is actually really, really nice. And, like, there are so many little, particularly this first one, these, like, Greco-Roman nods. I really like that his wife is called Helen and this, you know, the idea that... Helen of Troy. Yeah, like, you know, it's so much trouble for this woman and, and everything. I would say I think it is close to being a Raid 1 and Raid 2 situation where this is almost like a proof of concept for what will become a much larger sequel. And I think for the first hour or so, I was like, maybe this is better than the second one. But I personally feel it kind of is less gripping post-Red Circle. And also I kind of forgot that 2 is like very, very good. So <laughs> It's interesting because I think what elevates number one to being like one of the best action movies of the last decade mm. is the time and effort they put into the first half hour having yes. absolutely no action whatsoever. Yes. And yes, you can summarize what happens in that first half hour with men steal uh, kill his puppy and steal his car but they put in the legwork to actually give him a rich character and yeah, like, make you care about this and make you care about what the dog means to his life and those first 10 minutes him looking at the phone and the little montage of, of the dead wife and his grieving process and receiving the dog and all of this stuff Keanu fucking crushes all of that and i am sure it's no coincidence that you know his his partner died in real life in the early 2000s and i would imagine that fuels this performance but i would say he is one of the best quiet actors in the world definitely in a movie this heightened like obviously yeah. there are a lot of directors that will use lack of dialogue but he is someone who can do the quiet and can do the loud I feel he is less good at the loud, though. I feel when he has to do... I feel, I feel he does his best acting when he is calm or confused. I don't think he's great at angry, 
and I don't think he's great at overly emotional because there are moments in two and three, some of the lines he has to read, like, I'll kill them. I'll kill every last one of them. It's like, this isn't good acting, Keanu. But he's so good as this sort of quiet, calm man. That's why he's perfect in The Matrix 1, because he's so good at being confused, and it's like, sorry, what's happening here? And they do all the fun references to, yes. to Bill and Ted and everything like that. Like, they deploy Keanu as cultural relic very well in The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> which I feel like isn't done so much in John Wick. Like, there is no, no winking nudge to Keanu Reeves' image other than the stuff involving the wife, which, which I doubt is intended whatsoever. Like, I doubt Derek Kolstad wrote this script, sent it to John Wick, going like, oh, I've written a dead wife script, let's get... He envisioned a character who was, like, in his 60s with, like, a 18-year-old dog or whatever, and then they switched it up to be Keanu and a puppy. So a wildly different script than what they ended up with. But, yeah, and I, I think particularly those first 10 minutes where he is just barely if at all speaking and just going through the grief and just like what a sad man he is and like the puppy is such a nice little touch and of course rap music listening fuckboys have to ruin it because I think weaponizing Al Alfie Allen's unlikability was such a good call. <laughs> like, they said they were looking for someone who just looks like a real prick. And throughout all of Game of Thrones, Alfie Allen, a very punchable face. <laughs> I mean, he has an entire song written about him, he about does. how unlikable he is. Yeah, and like, I think it was a very smart decision to shift over the main villain to be Nykvist rather than him because he doesn't quite have it on an acting level to be able to sort of be the big villain but he is certainly someone you want to see punished and for him to be sort of the target for John is a great decision but like as you said it's it's not just his wife dies and then they kill his dog and steal his car it's the kind of calm before the storm almost after that where he just goes about like cleaning up the blood and he goes to Aurelio and he's like, you know, asking about the car and then going and like digging up, you know, taking the the, the pickaxe or the sledgehammer to his concrete floor and digging up all of his assassin shit while Nyquist drops all this exposition and they're like building him up as Baba Yaga and all that. It's very effective to establish him as this person that people have heard of and his name carries so much weight and that Alfie Allen just literally picked the wrong person to do this to. <laughs> yeah, they hinted it in the first scene where he drops the car off with John Leguizamo. Mm-hmm. And he, I think they say it's John Wick, but they don't explicitly, but they don't make it explicit until he sees his dad and his dad just absolutely wails on him and goes like, you fucked up. You fucking idiot. Yeah, like Aurelio is like, no, take this out of here and like punches him. And then Vigo calls him. He's like, I hear you hit my son. And he's like, I did because he stole John Wick's car. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then obviously Nightmares isn't pleased about it but like he's beating Alfie Allen up but then it's also like well I guess I've got to go to war with John Wick now and they do this really good job of making Nightmares look like actually like you can envision him in his youth being bad fucking news because he sure does beat the shit out of a lot of people in this movie and like I was thinking when thinking back over these three before doing a rewatch I was like Nightmares just isn't as good of a villain and I'm thinking about that because he's not like a physical match for him in the way that they bring in villains later but well that's the thing is i don't i don't think any of the final villains in any of these three movies apart from the third film are interesting physical specimens or like the most interesting person he has to take down in the movie 
No. Obviously, Santino is the big villain in 2, but Ruby Rose is, like, built to be his big final physical showdown, and that isn't... There is nothing like that in the first one. Like, there is nobody who is presented to be his equal, and the closest it gets is... Well, I guess Perkins, but she has such a small role. And then they do their best to build Vigo up to be, like, a brawler. And it's like, okay, I guess he could fist fight him a bit. But I think it is kind of missing that, like, opposite number that you get with Common and you get with Zero and, you know, all of that stuff. But, you know, Night Fist is really fucking good. And, like, seeing this in comparison to his blah turn in Ghost Protocol where it's like, at first I was like, oh, cool, he's going to be fun. And then he just never quite gets there. But then in this, it's like he's really reveling in it as this big Russian gangster. It's um, it's like he got a do-over. Yeah. Obviously, this film comes about three years later and the big issue with ghost protocol is the villain never really connects and so he actually gets to go like not full ham but definitely like a long way into ham in this movie i mean obviously keanu is the big star but everyone else like there's not really anyone here willem dafoe probably but for the most part you're going to be the biggest star in most scenes you're in just go for it (laughs) like lead that room and i think he does a really good job especially in this little beating up my son moment and this is where we get our first like the subtitles translating the russian we start to get these special fonts and typefaces and and colored words and stuff and it's it's a fun little gimmick that they carry on with all three of them and i was actually quite shocked they don't do it from the very first one because it's just straight up subtitles until he says a particular word and then from then onwards it's like puppy is in giant red and baba yaga is is huge and john wick and yeah it's, it's just a fun little subtitle treatment and you see the coins for the first time and then john obviously digs all of his stuff up up and he's got all the coins and it's a very because like he'll go to the continental which you know we get lance reddick here and and you get adriana palicki and ian mcshane and you know this idea i think the hotel has a charm in of itself this like big assassin hotel where a single coin gets you a room but also a drink and it's like they will eventually reveal in three that the coins aren't of monetary value it's just it's like an exchange of service you give me the thing you do i will give you a coin the most impressive thing about all these movies is just the slow layering of world building like there's so much stuff introduced in two and three that doesn't contradict anything that's introduced here it just kind of stacks on top gives you new appreciation for everything that's happening and even down to like his first very brief appearance at the at the continental and you set up basically the the other half of the cast for the back half of the movie like we know most people involved in the russian side and we know and then we get to meet the rest of the cast mm-hmm. through this kind of very brief continental scene really I guess just before that, he does. they do have the first fight, like, 30 minutes in, where, you know, Vigo calls him and is like, any chance we can just let this be? And he's like, nope. So he sends the people to his house, and uh, John kills them all. Which, again, it's so... Because you've had that 30 minutes worth of emotional setup and mythos building with everyone kind of reacting terrified when they mention John Wick, this isn't the most impressive fight scene in the movie. Like, that no. is still to come. But when the violence happens, it feels like a tension release, which is one of the, like, again, the whole movies are about tension and release, tension and release, tension and release. And you know John Wick's never in trouble, but they somehow manage to make the fight scenes feel like you're being given something like, oh, here's your, here's your treat for sticking with us through the boring (laughs) exposition part. Yeah. Even though the exposition isn't boring whatsoever. No, it's not. And 
And to contrast it with the raid, like, I think it's a similar idea where they are not afraid to have John get hit, get fucked up, fall over, like, do some very minor mistakes um, in the same way that Rama does in the raid. And it, it's it's not pretty fighting. There is a There is a prettiness to it, the way it is shot, but, like, there is a lot of dudes just throwing each other around and just sort of scrambling for positioning. The gun combat is always very intricate, but a lot of the unarmed combat. And I find it interesting that they, they choose to make John Wick, like, he seems like he's like a judo-type guy. Like, it's a lot of takedowns. When Keanu has this famous history of, of striking and, and that kind of martial art, but they just decide, look, he's like 6'1", most of the people he's fighting are a lot smaller than him, he's just gonna start throwing people around. And it it's an interesting style, and, like, it contrasts really well when he does end up fighting Yayan and Chacha in, uh, in the third one. But yeah, it's a fun little scene, and then you get Thomas Sadowski as the policeman Jimmy coming to the door and be like, "Hi, John, <laughs> are you working tonight?" And he's like, "Yeah," <laughs> just he just leaves him alone. Again, that is another one of those little wrinkles that you get where there is a deeper meaning to this going on, where either he's paid off this cop, or this cop is just paid to look the other way. Is he part of? the order like probably not but yeah there, there there is something very interesting about that that i think never explaining it is more powerful than having a flashback at any point because it's just like noise complaint noise complaint and then when he says he's working he's like okay and just leaves um yeah very good yeah. stuff the other thing i really appreciate about this fight scene is because you've had that 30 minutes and you've been shown around the house because he's walking the dog around and he's doing all these little bits and pieces in the house when the fight actually happens like uh, in the raid obviously every single room is built to be the exact same kind of shape and yes. you know the, the vague layout of the building but what this is also somehow more impressive in that you know how everything kind of fits together like mm-hmm. you know where the hallways are you know where he is on the stairs and they've had so much less time to kind of impart on you the geography of this space but still make the fight make sense Mm. so when it ends with him having to like wrestle with a guy on the floor and like jab his knife down into him you can tell this is the last guy and also how everything is kind of slotted together and how we've got to this point in the fight and it feels like a important location that we're familiar with it's not just back it's not just set dressing to do a big fight it feels like a real location and i think that is also true of the red circle club which i think this is the best action scene in the movie i, th- I think you have a different one but yeah like... no, no no this is this is the best this is the best scene in the movie okay. for action cool right we agree then. this big nightclub <laughs> where yosef alfie allen is hiding out and john just fucking raids the place and just murders everybody but he gets away but it's so cool like the music the the lighting of the like private russian baths at the bottom of the club or something and like when he is like staring that bald dude in the eyes the whole time he's murdering him with the song playing and everything there's like an intimacy to some of the kills in these movies where he's not spouting off one-liners while he's killing people but there is such a i can't phrase it differently than than an intimacy just the way he kills sometimes is very telling um where some of them feel more personal than others just by the way he goes about it and then like staring alfie allen down as he kills the guy he's on top of and stuff like that murdering across the dance floor and people don't really notice at first and and all of this stuff and the one that always got me 
when I saw it, and I will never get over, they do one in every movie, a deliberate reload. Like, he's shooting at a guy, he's out of bullets, so he just calmly reloads the gun in full sequence and then just shoots him again. And they kind of fetishize reloading in all of these movies. And I, it's kind of like a, a mechanical consideration that most movies don't think of. It's like they either have infinite bullets or it's a huge deal that they've run out of ammo. It's never just like, oh, and now he must reload. And there probably is a little bit of, like, how big is this clip that you are firing, John? But I do like that they throw that touch in every so often of just like, and now he must reload, and now he must take the time to do this, and get a gun, and throw a gun, and all of this. But yeah, the, this entire Red Circle scene is great, and I think, similar to the house, they establish it as a physical location, because you see Yosef hanging out there beforehand, and like, you see a little tour of the building almost and yeah you get to know the kind of three stages of the building you get the bath you get the the room with the leather columns and you get the the dance floor with its two levels and it really does give it a sense of progression like this is a very video gamey feeling action Mm. set piece right down to the fact that even in this scene he fights like a mini boss at the end with the the head of security who he fights before Yosef gets away hell even starts with a little mini stealth sequence like a lot of video games do it feels like they're taking their cues a lot from again the tension and release of different mediums except they are paying attention to things like how many bullets does he have Mm -hmm. and let's reload and I think they get more explicit in here's how many bullets John's got and stuff like that in later movies but here you are acutely aware of like which guns John's getting rid of and which ones he's picking up and all these mechanical things that are coming in just to kind of give the scene a sense of weight yeah almost. it's something we talked about a lot in particularly the raid one that it felt like a video game and I think it's a similar thing here and I would imagine to a certain circle of critics that is a cri- that sounds like a derisive comment but I mean it 100% as a compliment because I think video games tend to nail structure in a way that some films don't or this genre of film, I will say, where it just kind of, they're not good at pacing out the pomposity with the like quieter moments and stuff like that. And I think video games have gotten really good at that in the last sort of 20 years. <laughs> so I feel it's kind of downhill after the Red Circle, but the Red Circle is like, this is the scene I would just pop on if I was like, shit, I just want to watch John Wick right now. And I just want to see that nightclub scene. I want to see him reload his gun. I want to see him like moving through this space and carving these dudes up i don't think the rest of the film is bad like i think in my memory this part of the film onwards is worse than it was when i actually watched it it's just i don't know i don't think it's an overly satisfying sort of last act i think i think its main issue is it kind of comes down to a lot of one-on-one confrontations Mm. and less of the kind of spectacular choreography that you get from these earlier scenes. Like, I've heard John Wick compared to a ballet, and the most Mm. balletic that the movie gets is in that red circle scene where everything is coming together, and Mm -hmm. obviously it ends with him falling off the the first (laughs) wall. shocked off the balcony. (laughs) And then the key maker patches him up. Yes. That's fun. Yes. But it is a a whole sense of, because after this, you kind of get a bunch of shorter, less tense, less kind of frenetic action scene. I think the beauty is in the one versus many moving through a space, people are just popping out of, like, they're getting monster closeted, as it were, to use another video game term. They're just coming from everywhere and he's just taking them down one at a time and it's like, how long can they keep this up before I get to breathe kind of thing? But then, I would actually say that, like I said, I think this movie is missing that 
that opposite number who is a constant presence like they do with Common and Ruby Rose in the second one and they do with Zero in the third one. They do this little scene with Perkins and I genuinely, I think Adriana Palicki is great and I think she should get more attention than she does. Like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a very Blair show but the work she does on that show is... She's obviously not as good of an actress as Scarlett Johansson, but it's like you kind of have a free TV Black Widow just sitting there. And she gets to do some of that here when she's doing like the arm traps and the rolls and the hammering on his stitches and and dislocating her own thumb to get the handcuffs. And, you know, she did most of her stunts in the same way Keanu does most of his. And it's just a shame. It's, It's kind of just this sort of flirtatious femme fatale she's gonna trick all the boys and try and kill them all type thing and i think she's got a cool final scene in that you know she gets offed by winston's people for breaking the rules of the continental but it's just not satisfying that even though she is introduced way before they have their big fight scene it just doesn't feel as important as it does when he finally fights Coleman in the second one. And then well, that's the, that. that's the thing, is because she is literally just a hired gun. Like, she's not doing it because she's got any particular beef with John Wick. She is just, oh, I'm willing to break all the moral codes of this thing to be able to brag that I've taken out John Wick. Almost, like, and it's just not satisfying in any way. It's no. like, oh, we need someone in this movie who is a viable physical threat towards John Wick. And they couldn't figure out the mechanics to have of that person already in the employee of Ego because obviously the entire thing of this is John Wick was hired by Vigo to get him into power. Yes. And so and so they can't really go, well, Vigo's got another John Wick waiting in the wings to kind of take mm-hmm. on John Wick because he needed a John Wick to do it in the first place. Yeah. And like his little his main henchman is the one that throws him over the balcony and I think they have a couple of little tangles before John finally kills him, but he just isn't built up that much. Um, no, and uh, like the person they put the most effort into is Dean Winters, yeah. <laughs> who who really doesn't show much of a of a physical presence, and no. right down to he's off very quickly in that kind of final set piece that they have. He's just and... Vigo's lawyer, man. What do you want him to do? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is they put a lot of time into people who aren't physical threats yeah and that, that that's what i feel the second one has over the first one is that because they put that effort into building those people up the second one feels like it ramps up and up and up and up and this one kind of feels like it ramps up and then it kind of plateaus and i don't think it's ever bad like i don't think there is really a bad scene in this movie like but i just don't think stuff like him raiding the church and then getting captured and then marcus helps him when it looked like marcus was going to betray him like it's just not as enticing his big raid on the warehouse to murder Yosef is over really quickly. I do like the little touch that his friend is playing a little shooter game and it's making him really twitchy because there's a shooty bang bang man about to come and kill him for real. Yeah, they try a lot of things because obviously the whole setup with Marcus is that this is the one guy they're hiring to come take out John Wick, but he's never going to do it because he... Is his mentor or, or just an old confidant or whatever. Yeah, like it seems like he's taken the contract and you think he's going to snipe John in his bed in the Continental, but instead he... Does he shoot at Perkins? He shoots the pillow next yeah. to John to wake him up so yes. that he can take on Perkins. Yes, to make it look like, oh, I just missed. Because, you know, Vigo, like... I actually really like the scene where Vigo murders Marcus. It's, like, really stylized and like this extended torture scene he quickly fights back and then just gets super fucking murdered um and there's a lot of cuts and and stuff happening at the same time and like this is where perkins gets murdered by winston's people for breaking the rules and it's like oh okay this isn't just 
this isn't a joke. Like, and that's very important for the second and third ones because they build up no businesses to be conducted on continental grounds and then immediately they have someone that's like, oh yeah, she'll break the rules for this many million. And then you see the consequence of that. So that's very important when going forward. But I don't she really... does kill. She does kill Clark Peters, which is sad. <laughs> she does. I think this final confrontation is kind of weak. He tries to, you know, Vigo's trying to flee the city by helicopter and John just gets to him in time, murders all his friends, all of his, his dudes. And then... we, we're forgetting the most important part, which is when he drives into the guy and the guy flips over his car and John just shoots the roof of the car as the guy's going over, mm-hmm. which is possibly the best kill in the movie. <laughs> this actual fight scene with John driving around in the new car and immediately he's just like, fuck it, I'm just going to wreck these guys because they killed my mentor and I'm not gonna sit out of this and but then yeah then it just evolves into Keanu Reeves is obviously very good but they probably spend a bit too much time on Michael Nyquist and fighting him in the rain and Mm. he isn't a similar kind of stunt person in the way that Keanu Reeves can be and so it just it isn't as visually interesting as it could be especially when you compare it to so much of the rest of the movie up to that point I do like Nyquist's performance just before it really gets physical, like him just laughing and swearing and like refusing to give Dean Winters the gun and stuff like that. He's just like, ah, we're all fucked, aren't we? Uh, And he just kind of finds it comical, the degree to which John Wick is good at this. But yeah, it's, it's just not all that engaging as a final set piece but and then it it all links back up to the beginning because the movie starts with him like driving the wrecked car up to the animal rescue place and then like watching the thing on his phone and then it ends up there at the end and it's like oh okay this wasn't quite as slick of a like when you see stuff like that normally it's like a really poignant they're going for something quite poignant of like it all links back up but it kind of feels like a bit of an afterthought and then he does steal the new dog that was uh, due to be put down and it's like oh cool he's got a dog again but yeah i just feel it's it's a very simple 90 minute movie that you can just sit down you get it there's no like barrier for entry because you just tell people what it's about and they're like oh okay cool i'll watch that and yeah it was a nice breath of fresh air it made 86 million dollars and i feel a lot of that was word of mouth and it probably sold a lot of dvds because like, i hadn't even heard of it until it was out on dvd and then someone told me what it was about. I was like, cool, sold. And then I did the same for other people. And then the second one feels like a real event. But yeah, this first one is just like a... It's a nice, simple, straightforward action movie that did some things particularly well that were a breath of fresh air. But I think its sequel will outdo it. And I, I personally... I know we went to great lengths to knock The Raid 2 down a peg or two. But I would put The Raid 2 over this one, personally. But I wouldn't. But only because I feel this movie feels like an enclosed entity yes in in so many impressive ways like no matter what happens even if they never did a john wick 2 or a john wick 3 this movie would still exist as kind of a really great example of what you can do in this genre like they do so much world building and legwork to kind of if they wanted to they could come back and explore what all this means but everything in this movie builds up to a logical endpoint nothing remains hanging nothing remains unresolved everything just kind of wraps up and i wouldn't say neatly it's not like you end the movie and you go like oh that was 
a bit too perfect, a bit too hermetic. I mean, he's still fundamentally a very broken man. Like, you see that shot after he's been treated by the Doctor, and he's kind of just staring at the ceiling before he tries to sleep, and you see it a bit at the beginning of the second one, where it's like, right, now all this has calmed down, what does your life look like? And... You know, it's not that he's suicidal or anything like that, but his, like, reason to live and the reason he left the life that he was so good at but hated so much but maybe needs to be a part of or whatever. What is he without it? And it's like, is it just sitting quietly with this dog for the rest of his days? And, you know, maybe it is, but it's not like off he rides into the sunset with the girl to have a fun time. Like, he is still a guy who has lost his wife and has no life anymore and all of that. So we've talked about top three fight scenes for each movie. I feel this one only really has four or five big ones, and I think we agree Red Circle is number one. Probably the first fight scene is probably number two. Yes. And then I might go John versus Perkins, but (laughs) reluctantly. It depends how you kind of feel about some of the smaller ones, because you have little bits like the assault on the church is quite fun, or and you get the fantastic shot of John stood on the the bonnet of the car, pointing the assault rifle into into the car, which is just a, a fantastic shot in the movie. God, I'm I'm tempted to put the final fight just because there's so much interesting car stuff going on in that final fight. Before just generally, you get to the fight. don't like car stuff in movies. <laughs> I mean, I, we're going to discuss the car stuff at the start of the second movie. <laughs> and what I dislike about that. But I do think this feels like the logical end point to it with him driving around and some of the cool stuff that he does with it. But we are are in lockstep on the best scene. And are we comparing the best scene in each movie as we go? Yes, we will be. Okay, so what is it? It was Kitchen Fight and it was... Mad Dog versus... Mad Mad Dog versus Jacka. Versus Jacka, okay. And I guess Kitchen Fight was over Mad Dog versus Jacka. I mean, Kitchen Fight is incredible. Yeah. I would put Kitchen Fight over Red Circle, but I might put Red Circle over Mad Dog versus Jacka. I would probably agree with you there. I think Red Circle has, I mean, I've said it before, like a balletic quality to it that whilst a lot of the fights in the raid do feel like dances right down to the way that they're kind of doing their foot placements, Mm -hmm. there is something, the thing that John Wick does better than what the raid does is when John Wick is fighting multiple people, it feels so much more choreographed where there's a scrappiness to a lot of the fights in the Rain movies when it is against 17, 18 different people coming at the heroes. And also John Wick doesn't have the issue of, of throwing empty things at, <laughs> at people and then kind of writhing around on the floor because John Wick just shoots people in the face. He does. Oh, he is not afraid to double tap people, is he? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie and I think in my 2014 list I've got John Wick ahead of The Raid because they both came out in the same year. But my God, what a good year for action that is because you also get winter soldier coming out that year i don't want to say that's a paradigm shift for hollywood but it does feel like it was a not your opinion here but like if you're looking at 2015 there's a very logical movie for what you picked to be the best action movie of 2015 uh-huh <laughs> but 2014 i feel like there's so many, there's a lot of different options and none of them would be wrong in terms of what the best action movie yeah. of 2014 is. and i feel it was very like this type of action movie is back and it's viable to be something people are very obsessed with for a short period of time Whereas I feel this kind of stuff got relegated to... It's obviously never gone away in certain regions of the world, but like in terms of what Hollywood is interested in, I think it kind of went away for a while, post-Matrix sort of Matrix and that sort of stuff. For maybe five to ten years, it maybe went away, or maybe a bit less than that. But yeah, I think the one-two punch of John Wick and The Raid, and then, yeah, Winter Soldier being like, oh, this is 
actually really good action in one of these big bombastic superhero movies with no powers it's just people with guns and knives and their fists i think that was huge and and it, probably one of the best years for action I would say. And you get Edge tomorrow as well. Yes, also great, also great. Mad at Emily Blunt for kissing him, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a discussion for another day. This has been Kiki Punchy Men, and I guess we've got to keep going because we have two more John Wicks to do. I hope everyone is enjoying their lockdown. They are probably still on lockdown when you hear this. It seems unlikely there will be a magical miracle cure for coronavirus in the next month or so, but you never know. Do you go uh, no, to... if you drink bleach, that's what that's what the president said. <laughs> okay, okay. Go to entertherealworld.com to find our top ten recipes uh, to incorporate bleach into your everyday consumption. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, bye, everyone. <laughs>